Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us. And thanks to the worship team and the children's ministry for participating in our service today. Let's bow our heads and commit this time to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come around your word. As we do that, Lord, we conscious of the fact that your word is alive and it is meant to transform us, to challenge us, to encourage us, and to help us to lift our heads to you. We ask you, Lord, to do all those things as we make our way through this word, this beautiful passage or text before us this morning. We ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen. So please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We read the first four verses. Let's read together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's exactly where we're going to be this morning, on that fourth verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we ask the Lord once again, as we study his word, that his word will give us light and life. So we come today to the third week in our new series called Blessed. We have already said that this series is based on the Beatitudes. Last Sunday we looked at the first Beatitude, which says, Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we acknowledge that to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty and your spiritual bankruptcy and look to God for mercy and for rescuing. Those are the people whom God calls blessed because they acknowledge their poverty. They acknowledge that they bring nothing to the table and there is nothing they can do to save themselves. We come today to the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Now, we noted last week that the beatitudes describes believing people. We said they are a believer's portrait. They describe people into whom God is at work. They describe people for whom God has made great promises for now and for their future. Obviously, as you make your way through the Beatitude, it becomes clear to you that they are not Mr. Everyman kind of statements and acknowledgement. Especially with our text this morning, it makes it self-evident when we say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be covered. It's not one of the popular verses 
that you will see on the little stickers that we put on our refrigerators or on our mirrors or on our cars. That's not one of those verses. Nevertheless, it is one of the greatest um, texts and as a result, it is a greatest treasure that we can have, especially in, in the times of trouble. It is something for us to treasure and something for us to go to it again and again. Because frequently the world mourns at times. And as we've seen that reality in our country in the recent days, where we have been mourning and grieving the recent unrest which we have watched sweeping major parts of our country. Surely, together with the world as Christians, we have been mourning, we have been heartbroken, we have been shocked beyond words to see what human beings can do to destroy and bring about instability. And we find ourselves exactly these words of um, Jesus here in this Beatitude, speaking directly to us in the times in which we live. However, the difference is when the world finds itself in that place of mourning, it also discovers that they've got nowhere else to turn to for comfort. It's only the believers, it's only Christians who are promised that in those times when they find themselves mourning and devastated and grieving, they are promised that they shall receive uh, comfort. They shall be comforted. So it is important for us to note that the Beatitudes are for Christians only. They describe what God is doing among us. They describe what God is promising us as his people. And verses one of these, of these four verses we've read makes that very plain. As we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. There Matthew gives us an amazing picture of two audiences who were the recipient of this teaching. But he makes it clear for us that the people to whom this teaching was directed were not crowds, but it was the disciples. He saw the crowd and he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. But when his disciples came, he began to teach. So these teachings of the Beatitude, they are for Christians, they are for those who believe in Jesus, they are a believer's portrait. Jesus here is giving us a picture of what he would like us to be like. And I pray that as we make our way through these, we will be conscious of that and we will desire not only to hear these teachings, but rather to obey them, especially in the time in which we are in. So firstly, they describe a believer. Secondly, the Beatitudes, 
They are primary eschatological. In other words, they speak of this promise which will be fulfilled in the far future, in the future ahead. They speak of this promise that will be true in a distant future. And you can see that in verses 11 and verses 12, where he tells us that great is your reward in heaven. So some of these things that the Beatitudes are promising us will be fully realized, not in the now, but in the then. They help us to look towards the future with great anticipation. They help us not to settle here and now, but to look forward to the great future which God has promised us. So the Beatitude are about Christian hope for the future, and they are about Christian experience in the now. In the now, the Christians are mourning and they are promised that they will be comforted. Now often or commonly these beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, is commonly limited in its application to the mourning over our sins. And that is correct, it includes that as well. But it is also important for us to note that it is much wider than just mourning over our sins. F. W. Bear in his commentary on Matthew's Gospel says the following, the mourning here is not to be limited to grief over our sins. In other words, we should not limit this beatitude simply to our mourning over our sins. Yes, it includes that, but it is wider than that. That's what F. W. Bear suggests in his comment. And I want to take that wisdom from F. W. Bear as we make our way through this beatitude. And I want to suggest three applications that we can pull out from this beatitude of Jesus. This wonderful promise or this wonderful beatitude is about Christian experience and it is about Christian hope. Firstly, in the light of bereavement, this desolating bereavement. Secondly, in the light of living in the world that is hostile to Christ Jesus. Thirdly, in the light of our own faults and most grievous sins, of which if you are a mature believer, you should be aware of. You should be aware of your own faults. You should be aware of your own most grievous sins. None of us, when we come face to face with God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, can look at us and not cry out like Isaiah and say, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
So those are three applications that we get from this. The desolating bereavement, living in the light of the world that is hostile to Jesus, the awareness of our own most grievous sins. But because of time, we're only going to have time and dedicate our time this morning only on the first one, and we will close and conclude. So let's begin. So this first, this great promise in the light of desolating bereavement, the only place or one of many places we're going to go to in order to discover how this promise is realized in light of desolating bereavement. It's Isaiah 61, the first three verses. These are familiar words to us all. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and bestow on them a crown of beautiful of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of goodness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. It is quite clear in reading that, those three verses on Isaiah 61, that we cannot do away with the language of mourning. You notice it in verses 2 and verses 3, mourning comes up. In verses 3 also speaks of ashes, which we know that are customary associated with bereavement. And here in our country, in the recent days, we've seen buildings coming down to ashes. And I'm sure we have mourned as we know that that's not just the loss of property. It's a loss of jobs. It's a loss of people's income and families are going to be desolated. And they are going to be grieving. The sign of ashes is not a sign of hope in the scripture. And that comes clear in this passage, as we have seen again in our nation. There in verses 4, we see the spirit of despair, which often follows after bereavement. So we cannot do away from the language of despair. But that kind of sorrow is not only limited to Christians, it is universal, it affects everyone. It is not only something that Christians experience, but the whole world experience this kind of desolation. You're probably aware of it on a very personal level, maybe through friends that you're walking with the journey, they find themselves in this space of desolating bereavement. You're probably aware of it personally in your own life. But what we know about this kind of bereavement is that it can sip into our very being, our very core of our being. And it can lead one 
to bitterness of spirit and anger to God. Leave us asking those questions, why? Why? And that's the question, not only because of the recent incidents, but through COVID that we've been asking ourselves, why? It's a question of entirely hopelessness and wondering if God is really in control and sovereign. However, you and I, as Christ followers, we are promised comfort. Our hearts go out to the world, to the non-Christians, who, when they find themselves in this space, they realize that they have no one to turn to. However, at times, us too, as Christians, we find ourselves in this space and we wonder if there is hope. Now, the scripture offers two kinds of hope, future hope and hope for the present. Let's read what scripture says about future hope. There in Isaiah 25, verses 8, it says, He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Now we know the equal, the, the equivalent of that statement that we read from Isaiah verses 8, 25 verses 8. The New Testament equivalent of it is Revelation 7 verses 17. Where it tells us that God will wipe away every tear from every eye. It is a glorious promise that is repeated again and again, not only from the New Testament, but also from the Old Testament. God who is committed to the comforting of his people. God who is committed to walk through with his people in these times of desolating bereavement. This speaks of God who is aware of what the revelation calls the old order where in the old order of things we all face death and we all face mourning but if we speak of the old order there will also be a new order that's what it suggests and in that new order there will come a day where God will wipe away the tears from the eyes of his people. This is a great comfort to us. To know that we may not have answers of what we're going through, but God knows. God is there as well. God sees us as we make our way through it. Personally, I take great comfort in Jesus' tears at the tomb of Lazarus. I think they were genuine tears. Some commentators suggest, seems to question if were they really genuine tears, seeing that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus. But they were. Because what seemingly to, to those tears to suggest to me is that Jesus looks ahead in time ahead and he saw what's coming in the world as he stands there in that tomb. He looks at the whole history of the world 
ahead. And he saw what is coming. He saw the grief that will befall the sons and daughters of the world. And he could hardly hold himself from weeping. God promises to comfort us. God promises the future that will be free of mourning and pain. But how does God comfort us in the here and now? Again, we get the hint there. Blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall be comforted. God will comfort them. God will fill them with himself. That's what it says. But how does God comfort us in, in the here and now? What we learn from the New Testament is that not so much that God offers us comfort, but he gives us comforter. Not so much that he offers us comfort, but he comes himself to comfort us in the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14 gives us a remarkable illustration of this comfort in times of trouble. Here Jesus is about to leave this world. His disciples are heartbroken and devastated. They're not sure how are they going to cope without him. They can sense and anticipate bereavement and grief that will befall them when Jesus is no longer with them. He tells them that in his father's house are many mansions. He says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and take you with me. And I'm sure they were comforted to hear those words. But comes verse, verses 18 of John 14. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus will come to us by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, you cannot separate Jesus from his Spirit. Him and his Spirit, they are one. On verses 20 of John 14, he says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. You can't get closer than that. The indwelling of God, of Jesus, by his Spirit. He is in their very being. He is in the depth of their heart. They find him closer. When they need. Verses 21. He says. He who loves me. Will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And show myself to him. This is a great comfort. And indeed. The only comfort. That can take us through times. Of bereavement. This is a comfort. A present comfort. That God offers us. He offers us a comforter who will be in us, who will be with us. And that's the comforter he is offering us. He will come and make his home among us through his presence. That is what a mourner should seek. We are to seek the Lord's presence in our time 
of money. Jesus once asked this question, do you love me more than these? I wonder if that's not what he is asking us today as we find ourselves mourning because we can't have control of what's happening around us. I wonder if he's not asking us, do we love him more than these things of this world? God knows that you and I needs a comforter and he offers us himself. He offers us his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. May we be the ones who seek his comfort will seek his presence as we continue in this world that is full of the old order. And as we come to the end of our service, I want to read these the words of this hymn. And they are a prayer as well. They say, when the darkness comes, no light. When from the weeping comes, no laughter, when in the day we hope for night, nor any comfort coming after, grant us your peace. When in our confidence our fears clutches at the heart and make us tremble, when in our joy we weep cold tears, and in our frankness we dissemble, Grant us your light. When in our love there is not care, and in our yearning we are dullness, when what we know we cannot dare, and we, and we are nothing that is in fullness, grant us your truth. May the Lord grant us his light. May he grant us his comfort. And his truth. Amen.